Let's go with another edition of Midday on the Rural Radio Network. Information of all kinds coming your way, and we've just got a, I'm, it's, it's a slam-bang program here. That's what I'm telling you. I feel so unworthy to even be here because we have the long-time-serving legendary Bob Brogan. We mm-hmm. have the reigning farm broadcaster of the year, and then we have Brandon. So I... Imagine how I feel. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh, boy. Susan Littlefield's over there on mic one, and Mexico, America, and water? Yeah, it's a deal that Mexico and the U.S. has come together on the Colorado River. We'll have more information coming up on that. It's kind of different, kind of unique. Uh, Farm Bill Works, of course, continue to be underway. We'll get more comments coming from Congressman Smith this afternoon. At 1219, it's all about the weather. State climatologist Al Dutcher will bring us up to speed as we head into and hopefully will be the start of a busy harvest weekend. Uh, Bryce Duskin will be bringing organic farming on the rise. That's happening here in Nebraska. And, of course, it is Fridays in the field. We'll be getting an update from Shaley Peters. Bryce Duskett, I love playing with that name. The last, the last nickname I came up with for him is is uh, Deuce Brisket. Deuce Brisket, yeah, Deuce Brisket. I always say Bryce Duche. Right? Well, that's a good one. Too. Yeah. I like that. Is he French? No, I <laughs> don't knows? think so. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> Poor guy. I love picking on Bryce. We uh, all do. How fun! Yep, he's he's a good catch for us. Yes. All right, over here we have Brandon Bennett's and uh, movie trivia. What line is this film? Huskers and Wildcats and Lopers. Oh, my. Well, that's the Wizard of Oz. That is the Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Yes, indeed. We're going to talk Husker football, specifically the struggles with quarterback Tanner Lee right now. He has completed just 52% of his passes, seven touchdowns. Unfortunately, he's also thrown nine picks, and three of those have been pick sixes. We're also going to talk about K-State football and their Big 12 conference opener at home versus Baylor Saturday. Baylor kind of scared Oklahoma, so uh, the Wildcats might have their hands full hands full versus the Bears, and I didn't want to mention this too soon, but yes, we actually are going to talk about Lopers and Lions, oh my, because UNK will be at Missouri Southern in Joplin. It's homecoming weekend for Joplin in Missouri Southern, so the Lopers have another tough road test ahead. That's going to be on Saturday right here on the Flamethrower. Yeah, it's been a long time. I'm not sure ever. Ever. First time ever UNK Athletics will have been broadcast across five states. That's wonderful. All right. Let's go over to Bob Brogan and find out what's happening in business. Stocks are extending their record on the last day of the third quarter. Um, Stocks are pushing farther, further into record territory on Wall Street. Also, uh, a big deal for President Trump. He wants a massive tax cut. In fact, uh, he called it, uh, he wants a giant, beautiful, massive tax cut. He likes to use a lot of superlatives and things like that. So Uh they're unveiling uh, a nearly $6 trillion tax cut plan. Some of the details haven't been worked out. As of yet, we're still waiting for those, but uh, he's saying, I'm going to help a lot of people. Also today, a judge says Maryland can act against drug price gouging for now. federal judge has denied an effort by drug makers to block Maryland's first-in-the-nation law against pharmaceutical price gouging. And uh, those are some big things going on in the mm-hmm. world of business. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. Susan, Bob, and Brandon. And now, coming straight ahead, don't go anywhere, because we have a giant, great, massive program ahead. And we look at our screens here, and our real-time radar, and our projections out there that are, well, 
Usually, right? Uh, somewhat, <laughs> and, anyhow. Yeah, and our ag weather is brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation. Yeah, we are looking at some light rain continuing to move uh, north out of uh, eastern Colorado and also over portions of western Kansas. This is lifting toward the north, and right now the leading edge of that rain towards about the Imperial area down to Hoxie in western Kansas. Once again, it's just very light and scattered and moving off towards the north. Not going to amount to a whole lot. It's all thanks to a weak area of low pressure that's lifting into Wyoming today. That will keep our weather on the slightly unsettled side with some clouds and small chances for rain, but mainly across the west and central areas of Nebraska and Kansas for today and tonight. The farther east you go in central Nebraska, you have a lot more sunshine and, of course, less of a chance for rain and less cloud cover. We will see a stronger area of low pressure movement to the Rockies over the weekend. Some waves of energy off that low will continue that trend of unsettled weather with chances for rain and clouds and also some thunderstorms. Thunderstorms also possible late Sunday and Sunday night as the front sweeps to the southeast. Some of those storms could be strong or severe, not expecting a big severe weather outbreak, though. Any rain that does fall over the next couple of days likely will result in maybe some small totals up to a quarter or a third of an inch. And specifically in central Nebraska, we are looking at a likely chance of some rain for tomorrow night and also Monday night. That front that does move through late on Sunday will stall out and linger for next week for some more unsettled weather and some rain chances. But once again, probably on the light side for any rains and nothing like we saw last weekend. Now, despite this unsettled pattern, temperatures over this next week expected to remain near seasonal levels for this time of year. The long-term forecast, it's holding on to the prediction of warmer than normal temperatures for Nebraska, Kansas, and the eastern two-thirds of the U.S. for Wednesday through October 12th. The precipitation forecast expects near normal to slightly above normal rainfall in Nebraska and Kansas Wednesday through October 12th. Now, Kansas expects to be near normal for rainfall in the later periods. The higher chances of above normal rainfall will be farther north towards Montana, the Dakotas, and Minnesota. The weather factors in the market today include the prospects for heavy rain in the western Midwest and developing showers in Brazil. The western Midwest expects to see moderate to heavy rain most of next week. That will conti- this continuing stretch of rainy conditions will disrupt the harvest. Eastern areas of the Midwest, though, will see a more beneficial and drier pattern of harvest. It will also be cooler and rainy in the northern plains this next week and disrupt the row crop harvest there. Western areas of the northern plains expecting some freezing temperatures next week, but that is typical for this time of year. The- this past week of rain in the southern plains benefited the planted and developing wheat crop. A more variable pattern of rain is forecast this next week that will benefit the wrap-up of the wheat planting. Southern and south-central Brazil expects a solid pattern of moderate to locally heavy rain today. That rain should move north into central Brazil in the next five to seven days with moderate to heavy amounts to help out the soil moisture for soybean planting after they are experiencing some dry conditions and difficulty getting into the fields. Eastern Australia's forecast includes a good chance for significant rain this weekend through Monday. If that occurs, that may benefit the late-filling winter wheat in eastern Australia. All right. This ag weather brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation on midday. So in terms of how much... Uh, wind, thunderstorm activity, that kind of stuff. What are we looking at for the weekend? But probably just some, you know, 
Probably quick passing showers, uh, rains that aren't going to amount to a whole lot. You know, right now we're just seeing some light rain over southwest Nebraska. That pattern will probably move a little bit farther to the east as the weekend goes on. But as you head towards much of central Nebraska on into eastern Kansas, we're seeing a lot of sunshine. It's just the cloud cover holding tough over the panhandle, the southwest, and probably about the western two-thirds of Kansas. All right. So we'll get some football in tonight. Yep, yep. Should, yeah, you shouldn't have to worry about too much with the way of an umbrella tonight. Very the games. When you need weather, anytime, krvn.com. And good afternoon as we take a look at your agricultural news. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. The United States and Mexico unveiling an agreement as they preserve the overtaxed Colorado River, including uh, sending of millions of dollars on the conservation and environmental projects and drawing up plans to deal with the shortage amid the drought and climate change. The United States has pledged to invest $31.5 million in water conservation projects in Mexico, such as lining irrigation ditches with concrete to reduce leaks and upgrade irrigation equipment to use less water. The water saved would be divided then amongst the two nations and their environmental projects. Sosvevo, a new soft durum weed variety unveiled and developed by the Agricultural Research Service analysts and scientists say their collaborators could expand what's going to be seen in the market for wheat. Traditional durum wheat is primarily grown in the source of Simonia, a coarse meal used to make pasta and other products. However, they said producing this requires specialized mills that can grind durum wheat's rock-hard kernels. This, in turn, has limited the food use of durum wheat, which comprises on 3 to 5% of all total U.S. wheat crops. Along the way, the team determined that the durum's hard kernel texture has no relationship to the quality of the pasta. Rather, it's a yellow kernel color and the high protein content that give pasta its desirable firmness. You can read more about that through our website at ruralradio.com. Valero Energy asks the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency to allow ethanol exports to keep biofuel credits attached as a way to provide relief in the market for renewable identification numbers, or the RINs. Already this week, the U.S. biofuels industry took a punch to the gut when the EPA announced it would be considering more cuts in some biofuel volumes in addition to cuts already proposed in the renewable fuel standard. Work does continue as expected on the 2018 Farm Bill as we get more about it with Congressman Smith from Chabella Guzman. The Farm Bill isn't due for an update until 2018, but legislators have already been planning ahead. Congressman Adrian Smith of Nebraska's 3rd Congressional District says he's been out in his district talking with agriculturists on what they would like to see in the Farm Bill. I'm glad that uh, producers have stepped forward to tell me uh, what they think works within the Farm Bill, what they think does not work uh, within the Farm Bill, and that uh, ultimately we can uh, have a new Farm Bill that is reflective of, of the needs, but also that we don't ultimately have a Farm Bill that, that encourages producers just to produce for, for a particular program, but to produce for the market. Smith says one of the topics that keeps coming up is crop insurance, and it has a lot of support from producers. He would like to see more participation and not less to create actuality soundness. Farm Bill, which is updated every five years, is the nation's biggest piece of agricultural legislation. The bill covers everything from commodity pricing to trade. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. Conservation groups are urging on Congress to increase funding for the 2018 Farm Bill and to strengthen current conservation efforts to ensure farmers, ranchers, and foresters can effectively access those programs. 
The recommendations were released September 27th with more than 20 organizations contributing input that was listed as supporters. The consensus document asks for a large increase in funding for conservation programs, but supporters make it clear they do not want those funds to come out of the expense of other programs that are listed in the Farm Bill. A set of recommendations highlighting a number of programs with detailed lists of necessary changes and several conservation provisions that would also need to be changed. Although conservation advocates are asking for increased funding in the programs, also looking to change the requirements of some. That's a look at your agricultural news. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Shaylee Peters joining you back here, and we're going to talk the Margin Protection Plan with Nick Lanzer of Crop Insurance Solutions. And Nick, this is something that's brand new for producers that's really going to help them. It's time again this week to visit with Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist Al Dutcher. I'm Shaylee Peters on the Rural Radio Network. And Al, you were spot on with your rain prediction last week. Can we expect more precipitation headed into this weekend and next week, or what are we looking at? Well, last week when we talked, uh, the models were indicating that after we got through with this storm system moving through the state, the slow pace that it was, that we would see an extended period of dry weather that would last at least through the first full week of October. Lo and behold, by Monday morning, we came into the office and started looking at the model updates. The changes had already started been in process during the weekend, and all of a sudden, we started to look at a complete 180-degree switch in the models. And instead of having an extended period of dry weather, now we're dealing with yet another upper air trough that has dug into the western United States and is going to slowly progress toward the north and to the east. So during this upcoming seven-day period, it looks like we are going to have almost daily occurrences of energy ejecting out of that trough into the central plains, generating scattered thunderstorm activity and shower activity on a daily basis. All the way it appears, at least from today's model runs, into probably Saturday, next Saturday across eastern Nebraska. Quantitative precipitation for this entire event is putting out over four inches of water for north central and northeast Nebraska. It can all come at once, but it's unfortunately following up this heavy precipitation event. We're probably going to be dealing with some very muddy conditions in some of the areas that received this significant moisture this past seven days. More importantly, there does at this point in time appear to be a break between these waves ejecting out through next weekend and the next system that is poised to come down the pipeline. So from the 10th of October right now through the 14th of October, we, the models do show a drier pattern, but then we see another trough moving in to the northern Rocky Mountains, and then that spreads a cold air toward the south and the southeast. So if we are to believe today's models and chances are they will change drastically by the time we talk next week. The, the, around the 14th, the models indicate sufficient enough cold air that we would see a season-ending freeze across the Dakotas and likely across a substantial portion of Nebraska. But the key reversal from last week's edition and this week's edition is, is that the long period of dry weather that would be good for harvest activity does not be appear in the models anymore. The period of dryness only extends about three or four days, and it really doesn't begin until the second half of next weekend. Even though we do see temperatures that will be close to normal, it may not be sufficient enough time period at this time of the year, unfortunately, for us to get enough warmth to really dry out surfaces. So it might be a slow slug here 
over at least the next two weeks in terms of harvest activity weather. Where we will see the drier conditions, and it appears from, at least from the models, is from essentially eastern Illinois all the way through the eastern Corn Belt. This region is not expected to see any significant moisture from this upper air trough until we get late into next week. So they're going to get four or five additional days of harvest activity weather that doesn't appear to cause any problems in terms of getting out in the field and getting crops out. So they're going to get a little bit of a start on us. Uh, we're going to have to wait for at least, uh, at least 10 days here before we start to see a chance for an extended period of, of, of below normal precipitation and dry weather to, to at least help us get the harvest activity completed here in a timely fashion. All right. Thanks so much, Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist Al Dutcher. For more, you can always visit RuralRadio.com. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Sheely Peters. Midday on the Rural Radio Network and time to check sports today. Brandon Bennett is in. Good afternoon, Dirk. The University of Nebraska football team is still waiting on junior quarterback Tanner Lee to find his groove after being much hyped for the majority of the summer, including talk in some circles of him being a first-round NFL draft pick. The start to the season has been a struggle for Lee. Husker head coach Mike Riley says the coaches are trying to make sure they are giving him all the help they can. And we've got to be very, very thoughtful in the protection and the routes that we put into the game and prepare him best for the choices he can make and for the defenses he's going to see and where the ball should go. So a lot of that has to do with continued work, with his preparation. These are the routes that fit into Illinois' coverages. This is where, when you see it, the ball should go. Over the course of the season, Lee has struggled just completing 52% of his passes. He has thrown seven touchdowns but has been picked off nine times. Three of those have been returned for touchdowns. The Huskers take on Illinois this evening at 7 p.m., Meanwhile, the Kansas State football team opens up Big 12 conference play by hosting Baylor tomorrow afternoon. Even though the Bears come in at 0-4, they put a scare into Oklahoma last week, holding a lead late into the third quarter before falling 49-41. to In that game, the Bears switched up their offense, and that hasn't escaped the attention of Wildcat head football coach Bill Snyder. They played with some personnel groupings and some formations that hadn't been as prevalent in the previous three games and were very prevalent in this ball game. And, and we had worked on those things, but probably not to the same degree that we need to. So yes, schematically, it's not a matter of reinventing the wheel. It's just a matter of drawing from your repertoire those things that uh, best suit you know, the schemes that, that Baylor has. The 2-1 and one Wildcats are unranked for the first time this year. Kickoff time for the Wildcats and the Bears is scheduled for tomorrow at 2.30 p.m. The University of Nebraska Kearney faces a long road trip this weekend as the Lopers travel to Missouri Southern in Joplin on Saturday. In last week's loss at Washburn, the Loper offense found its groove in the second half, and head coach Josh Lynn hopes that momentum continues into this game. Really happy with the offense and the adjustments made at halftime. We got our inside run game going early, which opened up be able to do some stuff on second down, including throwing the ball. Steve had a great half of football. You know, we threw the ball 20, uh, 28 times, and they only had four incompletions in the second half. The Lopers face a Missouri Southern squad that's coming off a 63-0 loss last week. Kickoff time for the Lopers and the Lions tomorrow in Joplin is set for 3 p.m. And Florida Marlins slugger Giancarlo Stanton has three games left at home against the Atlanta Braves to become the first player since Barry Bonds and Sammy Sosa in 2001 to hit 60 home runs in a season. He hit numbers 58 and 59 last night. Stanton is the sixth player in Major League history to hit 59 home runs, joining Bonds, Sosa, Roger Maris, Mark McGuire, and Babe Ruth. 
That's a look at sports. Stay tuned. More of Midday is straight ahead. You're listening to the Rule Radio Network. Forecast for Nebraska tonight, mostly cloudy, a chance of showers and isolated thunderstorms, mainly in western and central Nebraska. I'm Dave Schroeder. Eighty people attended a regional housing initiative luncheon at the Weeborg Center in Gearing this week, where they were told by the guest speakers that community involvement is what's needed to help address rural housing shortages. John Madsen of Stewart, Nebraska, says small communities need to have new housing every year that constitutes at least 1% of all the housing in their community. So those places that haven't been building uh, 1% of their homes every year are going to be falling even farther behind. And so that's one of the reasons why I think it's important that we keep talking about ways that we can that we can uh, encourage people to have housing initiatives in their community and continue to think about working together to improve their housing stock so that the towns don't go away, as so many people predict. Madsen and his firm have helped rehabilitate hundreds of homes in Stewart and obtained state and federal grants to provide workforce housing that stabilize the small northeast Nebraska community. Federal authorities in South Dakota have charged 16 more defendants in a two-year undercover investigation into the illegal, Ill, illegal trafficking of Eagle parts. U.S. Attorney Randy Seiler announced the indictments in Rapid City. They come on top of indictments he announced against 15 people in April for illegally trafficking in eagles and other migratory birds. The new defendants include operators of pawn shops in Rapid City and Mobridge, South Dakota, two actual pawn shops and other individuals from South Dakota, North Dakota, Nebraska, and Idaho. The case offers a window into the black market for eagle carcasses, feathers, and other parts which are often used in Native American-style handicrafts. Omaha police are warning the public to use caution in meeting people found on dating apps after at least six men reported being robbed in connection with the apps in the past week. Police say each of the men had set up dates with women through the apps, plenty of fish or tinder. Upon showing up at the designated meeting spot, the victims were accosted by two or three armed men and robbed. Replay the game, interview, or feature you missed by catching a podcast from the front page of KRVN.com. Reporting from the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. Organic farming is on the rise in Nebraska. Reporting for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskin. According to a survey completed by the U.S. Department of Agriculture, certified organic operations in Nebraska alone sold a total of $96 million worth of organic products in 2016. That number is up 33% compared to 2015. The number of certified organic operations in Nebraska totaled 162, which is up 1% from last year. On today's Newsmaker, we'll be discussing organic farming the extra profit, and the added challenges. When Dusty Staub graduated from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln last year, he was able to return to his family's farming operation, thanks to the added profit from organic farming. The Staub family owns and operates an organic row crop and cattle operation near Ord, Nebraska. Dusty, thank you for taking the time to join me today via a phone call. First, tell us a little bit more about the operation there by Ord. So we have about a 1,000-acre row crop, mainly corn, organic corn, and we got about another 300 head of cow-calf. 
along with probably about 250 uh, feedlot, organic feedlot that we have in Ord, Nebraska. So, Dusty, when did your family first get involved with organic farming, and what was the reason behind that? We started back, I think it was 2000, and we just started producing corn on the conventional side, and we were not using any chemicals or Roundup Ready products yet at that time. So somebody came up to us and said, well, why don't you go into the organic side of things and make a little bit more money? And we uh, looked into it and decided that this would probably be the best way to start bringing more profit back to the farm and bring in a little bit more because I think back then the prices were around $14 a, a bushel. You mentioned that prices were a factor. Tell us the difference between conventional farming and organic farming in terms of commodity prices. Um, when we first started out, we produced uh, food-grade corn, and that was a big price difference, especially for the organic side of it. I think that was a 14 back when people were getting around that 4 to $5. And today we quit producing the food-grade corn because it was a lot harder to produce and a lot harder for the, the testing and stuff for their standards. And so then we started just producing food-grade, just regular corn for cattle or uh, chicken consumption. And that right now the price is at $9.00. And for conventional, I think they're right around that 325 So you're probably looking at double to, if not triple, the prices. And I assume there are some major differences between organic farming and conventional farming. Talk about those. Yeah, it is a lot different. There's a lot more labor-intensive uh, things you have to do, like you got to cultivate more times. And you do have, I mean, you have to cultivate. You can't just no-till it and let stuff go because your weeds will overtake your crop but other than that i mean once you figure out how to uh, do your organic crops uh, then it does become pretty simple and do start to see less and less weeds as the time goes by it's just trying to figure out how to balance your soil out right so you do have less of those weeds and Dusty, as I mentioned in the introduction, you recently came back to your family's farming operation. Talk about the role that organic played in that decision. So with the, the very uh, little profit margin of uh, being a conventional farmer, uh, the opportunity that when my dad became organic really brought more profit, which really truly allowed me to come back. And that's probably the only reason why I'm able to today is because we do have are making enough money to to sustain both two or if not three families on our operation. Dusty, what are some of the challenges uh, within organic farming that you have to overcome? So when people think of organic farming, they think of a field that is covered in weeds that you don't can't you can't even imagine to grow corn out there, which the first I'd say ten years of our operation it was like that and. Today, actually, we have less weeds than we ever did before we ever were organic. So you just got to make the improvements. And, Dusty, you're also starting to venture into selling certified organic beef. Talk about that. Um, well, actually, I had just started uh, my own little beef operation called County 47 Beef, and I'm trying to, to sell organic meat to people uh, just for another way to bring back some more money to the operation. But as for organic calves, I mean, there's really not a market. Uh, you can't take them to the local sale barn. you got to 
find an individual buyer to finish them out or do whatever they want to do with them. But we're trying to look into uh, doing less of that and more into the, the beef production for organics. And so you, do you recommend organic farming for other producers? I would say it's a great opportunity, and it's going to – here's just a quick statistic – that I heard from a Hy-Vee manager the other day, that 25% of Millennium today buy just only organic foods, and they're expecting that number to increase up to 40% by 2030. It is a growing market, and there's a lot of opportunity if you figure out how to do it. Well, Dusty, we certainly wish you the best as you continue growing your operation there with County 47 Beef and the row crop operation as well. That was Dusty Staub, organic farmer from Ord, Nebraska. Dusty, a recent graduate from the University of Nebraska at Lincoln, returned to his family operation because of the added income with organic farming. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network, Bryce Duskit reporting. We're back on the Rural Radio Network. Let's get an assessment of this livestock futures trade from Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities. Joe? Yeah, it was a... Um Interesting day again. Uh, mixed in the uh, in the live cattle, lower in the feeder cattle, higher in the hogs. Only one exception in the hogs. That was the October contract, which is still tied to the uh, index, which continues to fall. But the back end, a uh, uh, lot higher. We had some triple-digit gains in the uh, back end of the uh, hogs, which was, I found interesting, uh, based upon the numbers uh, that came out in the hogs and pigs report, uh, which was interpreted as uh, neutral to slightly negative, but uh, because we're just going to have uh, more hogs, uh, this is the biggest increase of hogs we've uh, had in years, so uh, the numbers are there, so uh, I guess we're looking at uh, people betting on demand, uh, but anyway, uh, a very interesting day there. The cattle, interesting also. Uh, the feeders uh, came under some uh, pressure, uh, mainly, uh, I think, due to uh, the uh, corn being a little bit higher and the fact that we could not get through uh, resistance here and in both the uh, live cattle and the feeder cattle. Uh, that uh, ended up being a little disappointing, uh, uh, and I think we got some uh, profit-taking going into the uh, Weekend cattle uh, uh, apparently trading uh, steady to maybe even 50 cents higher out in the country, but uh, did not have uh, a big effect on the uh, futures. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities, Dewey Nelson on the World Radio Network. Shaley Peters back with you for this week's Fridays in the Field. And this week I have a different face with me. I've got Deb Gangwish, P&G Farms. And Deb, typically Jesse Harding was with you, but I've stepped in since Jesse's left us. And uh, I, you know, we're here at your place near Shelton this week. Give us an update of what's been happening around here since the last time we talked to you. Well, you know, I was thinking about this summer and thinking about weather events and everything that's happened and it has just been a roller coaster so um you know we kind of came through that disease pressure it, it ended up being pretty light um we haven't gotten into those fields yet but uh, uh, we're not expecting major yield losses with that um we are uh we're with monsanto and harvest seed corn and so we're finishing up that seed corn harvest should be done we're hoping around thursday of next week kind of depends on the weather 
didn't expect this much precip, but um, we're out of the field as you can see uh, right now. Uh, should be in tomorrow. But with that wrapping up, uh, that'll help us as we get started on our, our corn and beans uh, around here and then up north. We have gotten into a few bean fields here. Uh, it's been a little slow, but so far yields have been on track and, and uh, things are looking pretty decent. And I know it's nice to see the sun out, first of all, today, because it has been rainy here. Finished up irrigating and talk more about your seed corn harvest. Just kind of give an overview as you wrap that season up, what this growing season for seed corn has been like. You know, the, the seed corn, poor seed corn, it just is not the most pretty crop. You know, and where we harvest for Monsanto, we don't have a tremendous amount of information as far as, you know, where we're... It's, it's, it's always their decision. We just do what they need us to do and do it to the best of our ability. But things are looking good. Um, we were really, really blessed this year to, in, in our area where we harvest, to have minimal wind damage, minimal insect damage. I mean, we just really had a decent looking crop. But um, we'll find out after harvest what those yields look like and how, how all the fields compare to each other. Um, but we're pretty excited to be nearing the end of that, and uh, it's quite a process. If you've ever, if you ever get a chance to watch a seed harvest, uh, take a peek because the equipment's different, uh, and it's it's quite a quite a ballet of machinery. So. Absolutely, and it is encouraging, I'm sure, to you guys to see this kind of season. Moving on to your corn and soybeans, you mentioned you're out. You've cut a couple of fields of soybeans. Talk to us about. What you're starting to see, I know it's kind of a limbo right now, especially with the weather, with the rain delay, but um, just as you start to open some of these fields up, what you're seeing. You know, uh, what what we've seen, and we did pick uh, uh, several uh, bean fields. Um, like I said, yields pretty much right on track. There was one field that we had a uh, landlord, he wanted us to to harvest the corn and, and again, right on track. Moisture was a little high, but this was his, his choice. Um, we're gonna be doing some wet corn up north uh, that we'll be hauling up to a feedlot up in South Dakota. Um, but, you know, we, we're pretty optimistic. I don't wanna get, you know, you never know. I mean, I've heard my father-in-law talk about storms that came through about this time of year and just devastated farmers. But we're pretty optimistic about how things look. It may not be our best year, but it's definitely, I think it'll be better than last year. Well, thank you so much. It's Deb Gangosh with P&G Farms with this week's Fridays in the Field. For all of our Fridays in the Field features, you can visit ruralradio.com. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shaylee Peters. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. It was all about a USDA stocks report small grain summary today. Let's talk with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. And, of course, when you have a lot of the trade, uh, I guess, pricing in a bearish report and you get what you got today, you have uh, some reaction to it. Yeah, and you know this is the end of the fiscal year as well, so I, I would discount a lot of the price action we saw today. In all of these markets, this is a, uh, a time of the year we're looking to button things up. And uh, I think the real test will be watch Monday night or Sunday night and Monday, kind of how the markets react. If, if they dive real deep, I assume that's farmers selling. And there might be some opportunity there to buy it. But regardless, this report today was, uh, I guess, the, the preliminary report to the, the main event that will be coming down the pipeline in two weeks. The, the 12th of October is the Wowsby report. 
that's when we'll get the yields and a lot of the uncertainty about new crop corn should be cleaned up a little bit. Uh, John, uh, this is the end of a week, end of a trading month, and an end of a trading quarter, and for some, a fiscal year. And what does that mean? Well, you know, from somebody, we do a lot of speculation, too, and, and work with folks who, who trade these things for a living and try to market those track records to people. And you come into the end of the month, you know, there isn't a lot of upside. If you've had a good month to, to really put trades on ahead of these reports, you're, you're betting on a coin flip in a lot of instances, and I think looking at the CO2 reports for corn and beans, the markets are relatively flat. Uh, I think, you, you know, you're looking at a heads-up poker game, so to speak. Both of the chips are kind of pulled back from the middle of the table, and I think folks are waiting to see what the yields are going to be before they make those next round of bets. Uh, shorter term, I think, you know, we'll still continue to trade these anecdotal yield reports that come out of the field so far. Fantastic for beans. I think corn's a little bit slower. We actually haven't heard a whole lot of, of, of yield reports this way, given the uh, um, you know, it's just a slower maturing crop, but from the bean side, things have looked really good. Um, I do look for some positioning ahead of the October Wazi report, probably to the short side, given the yields are expected to go up. Um, but I actually think that you get some capitulation moves on that report, and we go down to maybe the high low 340s for corn, 940, 930 for beans. I think we could set a low that stands for a while uh, until the South American crop's a little bit more more owned. So. I'm encouraging folks, don't be bearish on these breaks. You get a post-Wazi report that maybe surprises the market. In years past, that's the time we set a low when, when those buy-the-rumor, sell-the-back traders come in and buy it. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to DanielsAgMarketing.com. By the way, corn did finish 2 to 3 higher, soybeans 7 to 8 and 3 quarters higher, and wheat was significantly lower. I'm Dewey Nelson.